So we are starting spring quarter. This is lesson one. We will be covering the book of James and the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John this quarter. And uh, this is lesson one in James, which is faith in deed. So Lord, we do thank you for your word, which is eternal in the heavens. We pray for the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us um, what you have to say to us to this uh, from this book written by the half-brother of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, yeah, we're going to go through chapter 1 of James today. And James and 1 John are frequently misinterpreted and uh especially uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And it gives the impression that if you don't work enough, you're unsaved. So one of the ways to counteract that thought, which is a false thought, is that James is written to the audience of the book of James is people who are justified. They're already saved by faith in Jesus. So James was the uh, pastor of the Jerusalem church. He was the leader of the Jerusalem council, if you'll remember, in Acts 17. He was not a believer when Jesus was alive. John chapter 7, back in the fall, we saw that, that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Uh, back then, but he was converted later, and, uh, you know, the Lord used him to write this epistle. So this is the first scripture in the New Testament. And at the time this was written, there was nothing else. Paul hadn't written anything. Peter hadn't written anything. John hadn't written anything. Matthew, Mark, nobody. James was the first author used by the Holy Spirit for the in the New Testament. And uh, the date of writing is, you know, I have written down 45. I have a A.D. 45. James died in A.D. 62, and we know that he was martyred. That was uh, recorded by Josephus, the historian. Um, so it had to be before that. And uh, there's no mention of the Jerusalem Council in James. So it had to be before that. So I've seen dates of AD 35 to AD 45, uh, but that makes it the first New Testament book. And the audience, again, are persecuted Jewish believers in the Messiah. So they are Hebrew Christians, Messianic Jews, and they are already saved. And so the question is that... James is addressing in this is if Jesus fulfilled the law, now how do we live? That's what this book is about. How do we live with belief in the Messiah? Okay, so we'll start off with uh, section A, which is perseverance in trials, verses 1 through 8. So I, I just want to say one more thing because it has two words that I like. So this tells us 
how to have orthopraxy. Isn't that a great word? So orthodoxy means orthodoxy is correct belief. And we need that, but the goal is orthopraxy, which is correct practice. So that's how we go from knowledge to wisdom. And James is dealing with that. And really, you can kind of divide the book into two halves. The first half is about faith. Chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 12. And the second part is about wisdom. So anyway, can I get someone to read 1 through 8? Okay, thank you, sir. So now, is this practical? Or what? <laughs> Does anybody ever have trials? I think, uh, of course, we all have trials. Some have more than most. Some have more than others. But everybody has trials. And so the, the, the audience he's writing to, so he starts at verse 1, James, a bondservant of God. Now, he could have said, James, I'm the brother of Jesus. He did not do that. He said, he's the bondservant of God, you're my brother. Right, right. He yeah. was he was the big brother. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the little brother said, You think you're such a big deal, you know? Well, he was a big deal. He is a big deal. And James discovered actually that is what we you know, we're saved by faith alone and Christ alone, belief alone. But we want to graduate from that into being a bond servant. And that's discipleship. And that was what the whole book of James is about, is discipleship. So it's to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. They are scattered. And um, see, this was on my mind about, because James is, is very often misused to make people question their salvation. And I want to avoid that. Um, they're already justified. Remember, there are three stages to salvation. There's justification, where you're delivered from hell. There's sanctification, where you're delivered from the power of sin in life. And then there's glorification, where sin is absent from you. And um, James is concerned with stage two, or sanctification. So these Jews were probably the ones scattered by Paul and his buddies at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. Um, yeah, these are the people were, that Paul was trying to arrest, persecute, kill, etc. Okay, so verse 2. This is a very practical verse. This says, Consider it all joy, my brethren. So they're saved. He's calling them my brethren when you encounter various trials. So when I missed my plane for our vacation, and the lady is telling me, your flight does not exist, this came to my mind. <laughs> this verse came to my mind. And that is good, right? Because that keeps you from freaking out. Yeah? So is this how you guys evaluate your trials? You say... Consider it all joy. It's a learned process, yeah, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, it is a learned process. And again, there's no one without trials. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith, 
So what is being tested? Your faith. What is being tested is your faith. Therefore, you have faith, don't you? If you didn't have faith, your faith wouldn't be being tested. So you have faith, and this produces endurance or patience, okay? Nobody, people, you know, if I pray for patience, people, sometimes people get mad. Yeah, pray for patience, I want to know. You know, people in my family will say, don't do that, because <laughs> something's <laughs> going to happen that makes us wait. Yeah, you know, so we don't like to wait, do we? We do not like to wait. The Lord has us waiting a lot, doesn't he? And it's you know, the Lord is patient, and he wants us to be patient and just rest in him when things seem discombobulated. And then verse 4 says, let endurance or patience have its perfect result. So while you're enduring, as you're trusting in the Lord, things are happening to you. Things are happening to you. You are maturing. And it says, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, does this mean that you are going to be in sinless perfection? No. It, no, that is not what it means. Because the sin nature resides in us. It doesn't go away. Um, as we follow the Lord, as we submit to the Holy Spirit and walk in the Lord, it will get weaker and weaker. But it does not go away. Our sin nature. The sin nature that we're born with. It is still there, and if we want to, we can go back to it. <clears throat> right, yeah, none of it goes with us, and actually James later in the book talks about that. Yeah, so if we are patient with the Lord in trials and trust him, he will cause us to grow. It's the fastest way to grow, is going through trials. It's, it's uh, how the Lord... Um, you know, grows us up. So what, what it leads to is a mature faith, more and more like Jesus. No, that's not it. You know, sometimes... I like your thinking. Yeah, I understand that. You know, sometimes it says trials, various trials. So sometimes people can be a trial. People, most of the time. <laughs> Many times, people can be a trial. And if we are patient and respond to them as the Lord would have us, then it causes us to grow spiritually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, because it's interesting. He's talking about joy and trial, and really trial ignites our sin nature, doesn't it? It makes it flare real fast. And... Um, you know, what we have to learn is to trust in the Lord in that moment, in that moment and pray, okay, how am I going to respond to this person who is making me see red? And if you do that first, then you'll do better, you know. But the, the, the key, the most of, this happens to me all the time. Many times I'll respond, boom, I don't even think about it. And then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. 
<laughs> you know? Okay, so now James wrote this first, but Paul agrees in Romans 5, 3 through 5, he says, and not only this, this is Paul now, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, exactly the same thing, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. So, Paul and James are on the same page. I'm sorry, what was that reference in Romans? Again? That was Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Yeah. That is why we are to look at trials with joy, because of their effect on us, if we depend on the Lord through them. So then, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so now the context is trials. You're in a trial. Many times in a trial you have to make a decision about something, don't you? You know, like when we missed our air flight, the decision was, should I fly off the handle? No, because it was my fault. <laughs> yeah, it was my fault because I got an email which I misunderstood and ignored that was telling me that the flight had left four hours earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, so that was the decision. Should I get mad about this? Well, that was what the email was. I misunderstood the email, and I thought it said you have the option of moving your flight up. And I said, well, I don't want to move my flight up. I chose this time because I wanted it, you know. So that's how I misunderstood it. The, the fact of the matter was they're moving the only flight up. There is, that's why she said your flight doesn't exist. <laughs> no, I didn't get to the part of getting frisked. That answered your prayer. Yes, I did answer my prayer. That's right. That's the way you want it. That's right. But anyway, do you, have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? I don't know what to do here. Yeah. It's called waking up. Yeah, I think, I think uh, it happens very often. In trials, what do I do now? You know? Well, he tells you what to do. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. Who gives to all, not to some, to all, generously, so he's not greedy with it, and without reproach, so he doesn't call you an idiot. He says, here, you know, and it will be given. So, I've told this story before, but... <clears throat> We knew an old missionary in El Paso, Texas, and I asked him about this passage because I was reading it, and I was like, how does that work, you know? And he said, you know, it's very, he said, listen, you pray about it. You, you know, you have a decision. What am I going to do here? You pray about it. Ask the Lord for wisdom. You think about it. And you decide what to do. And you trust that the Lord guided your decision. And you go with it. Very practical. And I've been doing that ever since. And it is it it works. It works. 
Now, this promise is not an unconditional promise. Our salvation is an unconditional promise. Okay? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. Unconditional. No no strings attached. This one is conditional. It says, verse 6 and 7, But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what do you think that means? Don't be wishy-washy. Exactly. Don't be So you go through the process. Yeah. Right. You go through the process. You pray. You know that this. he's promised you wisdom. You decide. You do it. You don't do it and say, oh, I'm not going to do it. Oh, no, I can't do it. Oh, no, it won't work, you know. No. no. Do it. <laughs> the only way I found out of that catch 20 yeah. Well, we have an example of... Yeah. We have a very minor example of just this thing here, because I came in today, this was gone. I couldn't find it anywhere. I looked all around, I went through twice. I prayed, and I sat here. At 9.15... Paul comes in and plugs it in. Yeah. And does that build your faith? Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. That builds your faith. It's very and, exciting. And, and, and you, know how, you know how concerned. So God has given us unconditional promises, and he has also given us conditional promises. This is a conditional promise that you must fulfill certain criteria before the promise is fulfilled. Here's another one. This is very, this is my wife's favorite passage. Uh, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So there are three conditions for God to make your path straight. Trust in him with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. If you do those things, he will make your path straight. So it is a uh, conditional promise, just like this one. And uh, there, you know, the discipleship is full of conditional promises, discipleship. Whereas our justification is believe and be saved. Don't do anything. Direct your faith to the proper object. Poof, you're saved. Okay, so that's the end of section A. Now we're on section B, pitfalls and trials, uh, verses 9 through 18 for you online. Chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Can I get somebody to read that? Thank you, ma'am. So now it goes into poor and rich goes into class warfare for you socialists. <laughs> so, verse 9, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Now, how can that be? Brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. That was first there. Yes, there is kind of that principle, isn't it? There is that principle. Now, uh, that the first will be last. So in Revelation, you know, the, Revela the Revelation churches of Asia Minor, 
There's the Church of Smyrna. And the Church of Smyrna was told this, I know your tribulation and your poverty. And that Greek word for poverty is abject poverty. Abject poverty, total poverty. And then it says, but you are rich. And then it goes on to say, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So they were in, they were under tribulation, and they were in abject poverty, but they were rich. Now, how were they rich? Yeah, yeah, synagogue is gathering, yeah, yeah. So when you are destitute, your faith becomes strong, doesn't it? Because you don't have money to rely on. You have the Lord to rely on, right? And so that faith will become very strong uh, when you're poor. You know, and that, like, uh, for example, George Mueller, uh, he, he didn't ask for money. He didn't take a salary. He prayed. And the Lord allowed him through that to not only run a church, but to run five orphanages for his whole life. <laughs> yeah. And uh, because, yeah. So James here is encouraging the poor, isn't he? They're rich. They're rich spiritually. But then in verse 10, he says, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. He's to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. So, you know, monetary wealth, just look at the stock market recently. Look at the Russia stock market. Yeah, if you rely on money, that's very unstable, something very unstable to rely on. So the economically rich needs to learn that wealth is no support. Right, so... This is from another church in Revelation. This is the Laodiceans. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 17 says, Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So it's the exact opposite of the church of Smyrna, because they had taken their faith off of their Savior and divided it, or taken most of it, and put it on their money. And that is not how it works. <laughs> because he will, he will teach you that it doesn't work that way, and he uses trials to do it. Because he talks about, to the Laodiceans, ask for gold from me, gold refined in the fire. Well, Peter uses that phrase as for trials, you know. Yeah. So King Solomon, who we just learned about last quarter, yeah, he says something about this. Yeah, this is in Ecclesiastes. Let's see. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. And then in Ecclesiastes 5.15, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing 
from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. So if you're well off, this is what the Lord says. Well, he says it to everybody, but this is Proverbs 3 again, Solomon. And verse 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty. So um, that's an antidote, isn't it, to greed, is that you decide the first of what I get, I will give to the Lord. And, um, you know, <clears throat> in uh, New Testament times, in church, the church age, there's no amount given. But, um, you know, and I, this is one of those things where praying for wisdom, I think, helps, you know. If you lack wisdom about how much you give, you know, some ministries abuse this and they want your money and that's all they care about, you know. And uh, yeah, the prosperity doctrine, and that is evil in my view. And so, um, it, you know, it needs to be between you and the Lord, your family and the Lord, and it's a buffer against making money your God. Right. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to give when you give. You give cheerfully. You, you decide what to give, and you say, Hallelujah, Lord. Here you go. So verse 12 is a good verse. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Remember, this whole thing is in the context of trials. For once he has been approved. So if you pass through a trial successfully, how would you say passing? <laughs> Sarah's laughing. <laughs> How how would you say what would be the successful passing through of a trial? Yeah, I think if you trust the Lord through it, you know, if you ask him for his wisdom, how to deal with it, and if you don't blame him for it, that is the key to successfully passing through a trial. We'll get to that later, but that that'll come naturally. That will come. If you successfully pass through a trial, the result is growth. That our, is the result. Our God is so great. Um, and yeah, and that, that's when you're more immature. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but still, but and you're you are now. Oh, no. Right. Right. No, these, these, these things are very difficult. They're not easy. Well, to I do. Saying, even David. So anyway, the one of your handouts there relates to verse 12, and that's these believers' crowns. Now, again, this has to do with the three phases of our salvation. The first phase, justification, you receive heaven. You, The penalty of your sin is taken away, and it was placed on Jesus, and he took it away. These believers' crowns, and one of them, the crown of righteousness, which it mentions in verse 12, that you will receive. Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry, the crown of life. It's the crown of life. Uh, for once he has been approved, so successful passage through the trial, he will receive the crown of life. And the Lord has a ledger up there in heaven with everybody's name on it and how they do with different things. He knows everything, of course. And how they do. And so the crown of life is for enduring trials. James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. Revelation 2.10, their trial was up to and including martyrdom. So that was a pretty severe trial. But 
martyrdom is not the only thing included in that, any trial. So you get a crown of life for that, and then the imperishable crown is for leading a disciplined life that is being, you know, submissive to the Holy Spirit when he wants to correct something in your life. You say, okay, Lord, I'll do that. If the Holy Spirit is urging you to do something that you're not doing, maybe praying more, you know, maybe reading the Bible, maybe attending church, something like that, and you yield to that, you know, that sort of thing. That's what the imperishable crown is. Crown of rejoicing is for leading others to Jesus. Crown of righteousness, we're going to be talking about in the sermon, is for loving the Lord's appearing. That's all. Just saying, Maranatha, come Lord. And then a crown of glory is for shepherding God's flock. So if you're leading people in discipleship and things like that, there is a reward for that, and that is part of the process of sanctification. Yeah, yeah, exactly. These are not from your own works. Yeah, if yeah, these are all due to faith. So you don't you don't decide what you're going to do for God. Yeah, I know people don't like the idea of rewards because it sounds selfish. Right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that that is that is the motive. But you know, the Lord does hold out these. He holds out these rewards. Yeah, and so he he is interested in you achieving them because if you are submissive to the Holy Spirit and obtaining these crowns through that, he is using you to the max your maximum ability to be used, and that's what he wants. That's Ephesians two ten that will walk in the works that he has prepared beforehand for us. So then the other one is the believer's future inheritance. I'll just let you look at that. So that talks about what all believers will inherit. So that is the that includes the carnal Christian. So once you so let's say the thief on the cross he received the entrance into God's kingdom. He received eternal life. He received acceptance by God. He received no condemnation. And he was included in the resurrection translation, the rapture. The believers, faithful believers, additionally, will inherit an abundant eternal life. You know, the quality, the intimacy with God will be increased, both in the future and now. He will reign with Christ to rule this earth with him. He will receive praise from God, have intimacy with Christ right now, and then these rewards that we're talking about. <clears throat> so there is a strong motive for the selfish, if you will, to be a disciple. Yes, our hedonistic motive to be a disciple because, you know, Number the the one that I like the most is this intimacy with Christ because that's something right now, just like today when you know this I'm looking all over the place I can't find this recorder thing I'm like what am I going to do we're not going to be able to put it up it's terrible you know I say okay Lord I'm going to pray I pray Bink. Paul comes in that is the Lord manifesting Himself so yeah so I I think it's okay to want the rewards. It's okay, because the Lord calls us to them. 
So it's another act of obedience. It's another act of obedience. It's another submission to the Holy Spirit. So, um, well, up until now, we've been discussing trials which come from without. Now, James switches to trials which come from within us. Okay, so 13 and 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So what is our source of temptation? Satan can tempt, but most of the time, it's just us. It's our flesh, our sin nature, which still resides inside. Remember, he's talking to saved people here. So, what what do you do about that, you know? Paul tells us what to do in Romans 6, verse 11. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I thought, you know, I was like, that, really? <laughs> That's what it says. That's the, the truth. That's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is recognizing once you're saved, you have two natures. You have the new nature. You have the old nature. You have the choice now. Do I stick with the new nature? Do I go back to the old nature? So you consider yourself dead because you are dead because you're identified with Christ who died. And you stay with the new nature. Give it to the Holy Spirit. Right. You yield. Right. And the Holy Spirit is within. And the Holy Spirit will help you. So um, so the source of temptation, this is very important to successfully go through a trial, is because we can be tempted to say, Lord, why are, why are you tempting me this way? You know? He's not. He can't. He cannot do it. He tests. No, that's true. He, he tests frequently. He frequently tests. And our temptation when he tests is to sin. Yes. That's our temptation when he tests is to sin. So verse 15 is the pathway to sin. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to death. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So... James, in general, in this, is not speaking of eternal death in this book. He's speaking of physical death. Sin causes physical death. Because remember, all of these people are already eternally saved. So verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his teachers, creatures, sorry, so this is God's side of our salvation. Remember, there's God's side and there's man's side. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. Okay, that's God's side. Man's side is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I'm not even going to try to rec reconcile those anymore because I cannot do it. So... Well, God's side is, this is one of many passages, James 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You know, that's God's side. 
and our side is to believe. We are instructed to believe. So this is the word of truth causes spiritual birth right here. The word of truth causes faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Okay. The Bible causes you to place your faith on the proper object. Yeah. Okay, we're running out of time, so let me read this last uh, section. Section C, Prescription for Righteousness, verses 19 through 27. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's terrible, we're running out of time and not getting to this. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now that again has to do with physical life. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So this, this is James' whole purpose in this book. How do we live as what we are. We are children of God. This is how we live that way, as children of God. And he talks a lot about the tongue, bridle the tongue. If you don't remember anything from this lesson, remember this. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Was exactly what yeah. Yeah, because when we get angry, we're quick to speak. We don't listen, and we're very quick to become angry. And that does not achieve the righteousness of God. There is a, an, a righteous anger, but that is very rare for us. Most of the anger is unrighteous for us, at least in my case. <laughs> yes. So anyway, thank you. And that's the end. Amen. Thank you.